So today I want to talk about some of the biggest misquotes in all of the Bible. These are things that people, Christians, some non-Christians, well, a lot of non-Christians, but Christians even, sometimes we, they're good intention. They're meant to encourage uh, others. They're uh, meant to comfort. Uh, Sometimes they're even quoted in defensiveness. But because they're either not biblical or um, they are said in a way that uh, their intention is not biblical. Maybe they're said right, they're quoted right, but their intention is not biblical. They usually end up doing more harm than good. An example of this, there's this woman named Ellie. She's a grandmother, and she was keeping her granddaughter. And they were out in the front yard, and they were uh, playing ball. They were tossing the ball back and forth. And Ellie accidentally tosses the ball over her granddaughter's head, and it rolls between two cars and out into the street. And as she screams for Ellie to stop, it's too late. Ellie has darted through the cars, and she gets hit by uh, oncoming traffic. And so as Ellie is waiting in the ER, she's devastated, as you can uh, imagine. She's anxiously waiting for uh, the little girl's parents to arrive. You can imagine what's going through her mind. Um, One of her uh, church friends comes to sit by her side, uh, which is a good thing. And her friend sits there, and as she's trying to figure out how to comfort her, she don't know what to say. And so she looks at Ellie, and she says, Ellie, I just want you to remember God will never give you more than you can handle. And in that moment, Ellie feels like passing out. She thinks to herself, am I really supposed to bear this right now? Am I, am I a, less of a Christian because I just don't feel like I can handle this? And then in a moment of anger, she thinks to herself, well, it's not her granddaughter that's lying there on that bed. And so sometimes, and most of the time, it's very unintentional. Uh, this woman, she ends up heaping shame on top of this woman's guilt and despair that she's already feeling inside. And so well-intentioned Christians can do more harm than good if we're not careful. Remember Job's friends? We've, we've talked about Job here uh, a few times in the last few weeks. Um, Remember, Job was suffering. Uh, his, his, everything he had had been taken away from him, and he's deathly sick. And his friends, they uh, come to be by his side, which is a good thing. They were at his side, and they actually, they were there for like, what, a week? Just sitting there with Job? Very good thing. Good friends, it seemed. And then they opened their mouth. And the problem with them opening their mouths wasn't so much that they spoke as when they spoke, they assumed, they made an assumption and they assumed that his suffering was a result of his his sin. And so what was Job's conclusion? You're the most miserable comforters I have ever met. (laughs) Today, we're going to look at five of the biggest misquotes in all the Bible. And then we're going to look at we're going to look at their their misquoted source where they came from. And finally, we're going to glean from what the Bible actually says in regards to these misquotes. So get your game buzzers ready. 
actually, let me, uh, where can I, is this good over here, guys? There we go. All I had was staplers. I actually had some buzzers at home, but uh, I forgot. No. Are you ready to play? Is that really in the Bible? I need two contestants. We need two contestants. Come on. All right. These are our first two contestants. Oh, actually, no. Y'all stand. Oh, we're, we're doing that? Yes, oh, you're doing oh, that. We're doing that. There you go. Yeah, there may be staples flying, so be get ready. All right. Now, do not hit your buzzer until you hear me say, is that really in the Bible? Okay? Do not hit your buzzer until you hear me say, she's serious. Is that really? In the Bible. And then, yeah, tap it several times so we know uh, who, who won. All right. God won't give you. Uh-uh. Oh. False. But I already know the answer. Nope. Not until you hear me say what? Is that really in the Bible? You're about to be disqualified right now. God won't give you more than you can handle. Is that really in the Bible? All right, we have a winner. <laughs> What's your answer? No, that is correct. All right. <laughs> you may be seated. That is not in the Bible. In fact, the correct passage, the right passage, comes from 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where it says, Paul says, no temptation. You hear that? Temptation. So every time you hear, God won't give you more than you can handle, no, they're thinking about, but they don't, they, they don't have that passage clearly in their head. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, listen to this, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So the truth is, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. So what does that mean? Nobody can say, oh man, I was just, it was just overwhelming, the temptation, and I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. If somebody, if a Christian says that to you, they're not speaking the truth. God always gives us a way out. And we can't say the devil made me do it, right? We can never say the devil. Now, the devil plays a part. He tempts you. He's the tempter. He's the one saying, do it, do it, do it. But we can never say the devil made me do it because we always gave in to that temptation. And God says he won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. So... Will God give you more than you can handle? What's that? No? I know that I've been on my face, and it seemed like more than I could handle. You ever lost a, a, a loved one? Have you ever lost somebody, and you just felt like you just wanted to pass out? You just felt like you wanted to crawl in a hole and die? 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28, he says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Paul says, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a day and a night I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger of rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these things, there was the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I can relate to that last one. There have been Christians who have been fed to the lions, burned at the stake, certainly more than they can handle. We have Christians now that are being persecuted by the Taliban. So if we were to reword this and get it right, maybe it'd be something like, God will never give us more than he can handle. Listen to Psalm 46, 1 through 3. It says, God is our refuge and strength. God is our strength. God is our refuge, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives away. So though everything crumbles around us, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. 2 Corinthians, Paul writes in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. So you see that? We were burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received in Asia, we felt that we had received the death sentence. But listen to what he says. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves. See, God had given them or allowed them to have more than they can handle because it was to make them not rely on themselves, but on God, listen to this, who raises the dead. So he said, we despaired of life even of life itself. We could have died, but we trust in a God who raises the dead. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12.10, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Because in my weakness, the Lord shows his power and his glory. So if it's not true that God won't give us more than we can handle, if that's not right, so what do we do? But one thing is God uses us, you and I, to bear each other's burdens. (laughs) We get to participate in bearing uh, one another up. I mean, that's what Job's friends got right, at least initially, right? Was they came to his side just to be present with him. For a week, they were were just present with him. They were available. We should be available when, when, when people are going through hardships, when it's more than they can handle. When people are going through hard times, be available to those we love. Empathize, mourn, weep with them. Romans 12, 15, the Bible says that, that we should weep with those who weep. And in their humanity, they're not going to be perfect. They may curse, they may rage, they may wail, they may fail to stand. But here's the thing, allow them to be weak. Don't say, pull yourself together. God will give you more, won't give you more than you can handle. Allow them to be weak and remind them that Jesus is strong and that he loves them. 
And Paul says, you must also help us by prayer. He says, we need your prayer. We covet your prayers. By all means, pray for those who are weak. Pray for those who are overwhelmed. Misquote number two. Music. Need two contestants. Am I going to have to pick people? Yes. Kevin. I didn't think this through much. It's going to get serious, and it's going to get playful. And it's going to get serious, and it's going to get playful. All right. Countdown music. We were missing that last time. Do not say anything until... Do not hit your buzzers until I say, is that really in the Bible? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mm-mm-mm. Is that really in the Bible? I think Kevin got it first. Is that really in the Bible? Yes. Correct. That is really in the Bible. Thank you, Joseph. You may be seated. This one is one of the most tattooed verses in all of Scripture. This is the famous athlete verse. This is, I can chase my dreams and achieve anything that I want to through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. But what's the right passage? Well, just like Kevin acknowledged, yes, it is in the Bible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But when we read the context, you go back to verse 11, at least, and Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. He is writing from prison, from a prison cell, and he says, in any in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So a better context for this would be the athlete when she loses the gold medal. A better context would be the athlete when she doesn't make the team. Better context would be the athlete when he or she uh, uh, fails or when they're injured and their season or their career is over. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So if we were to reword this, it would be, I can remain content in all things through Christ who gives me strength, whether, whether things are good or whether things are bad. Paul says, I am content in Christ who gives me strength. So if that's not right, so what do we do here? Learn who you are in Jesus Christ so that you can be content. Now, this is an ongoing process. As I told you guys earlier during announcements, there was a moment of weakness this week where I was struggling and I needed to process with my wife through some things. I, I was losing my identity and what Christ said about me, and I was, I was having a moment of, of struggle and, and insecurity. But the more we know who we are in, uh, 
in Jesus Christ, we can be content no matter the circumstance. We can retain our joy even when we may not be happy and things are roses around us. So when things are good, we're grateful. We're full of gratitude. But when they're not, here's the thing. Paul still knew his purpose and his inheritance. When things are bad, we we still know our purpose. We know what God has called us to. And we're very aware of our inheritance, our great reward that awaits us in heaven. Misquote number three. I need two contestants. Bradley Bear and Lori. There we go. Do not hit your buzzer until you hear me say, is that really in the Bible? Give me some countdown music. You got it. Only God can judge me. Is that really in the Bible? Oh, Oh, yeah. Lori, sorry. Brad. Brad. Brad won because he, (laughs) I'm a good listener. That's good, Brad. And humble. And humble. <laughs> Brad, go sit down. <laughs> no, no. Uh, you got to give me your answer. Is that really in the Bible? Did you give me? I didn't even hear it. I just hit the <laughs> I was too busy watching her mess up. She, she, she threw me off with the early buzzer. No, only God can judge Only God can judge me. Would I, mean, you? I, I know that's biblical, but I don't think that's in the Bible. Ooh. Actually, give him a ding, 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 ding. Because the answer is yes and no. Okay, you can be seated. (laughs) This is the second most tattooed verse in all of Scripture. I remember when I was working at Same Day Signs, sometimes people would come in and want vinyl. Can I get some vinyl that says only God can judge me for the back of my car? (laughs) And usually what people mean when they say this, it's, it's, it's in defensiveness. What they're saying is like, only God is to judge, so you don't tell me that I'm wrong. So let's take a look at the right passages here. The first one, James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. So it's the one who's standing over as if they are the lawgiver. But James says, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So based on that, yep, only God can judge me. Shut up. Don't talk to me. Don't tell me that I'm wrong. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. He says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, you will be, it will be measured to you. Now listen to this. This is important context. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? Now, if, and then 
start of verse five, you hypocrite. We just stop there. It's like, yeah, don't stop judging me. Don't judge me. But listen to what he says. He says, first, you've got to take the log out of your own eye. Then you will, clear, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So what does he mean there? You need to humble yourself. You need to have a little self-awareness. <laughs> you need to be able to see your own sin. You need to love your brother or sister. And then when, maybe when you got some tears in your eye, not from the log in your eye, but because of your love for your neighbor, then you can go to them and you can approach them and you can talk about it. See, this is, why, this is why Jesus says right after that, he says, don't give to dogs what is holy and don't throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. There's a lot of Proverbs about this. When you correct a fool, it's foolish to correct a fool <laughs> because they'll turn and uh, they'll snap at you, they'll attack you. But you correct a wise person and they'll grow all the more wise. Jesus says in um, John 7, 24, to his accusers, this is right after he had healed somebody on the Sabbath, on the day of rest, and they were accusing him of working on the Sabbath. And he says, don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. What does this mean? You need more information. You, you need to understand the situation. You need to judge with more information, the right information, and the right attitude. James five nineteen through 20, my brother's, if anyone among you, listen to this. Now, this should put an end to like, we don't ever, we can't ever tell anybody they're wrong. We can't ever judge in that sense. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So my brother and sister is wandering and I reach out to them. Say, hey, can we meet for coffee? I love you. What's going on? Maybe that's the first place to start, you know? What's going on? What's going on in your life? Talk to me about it. Let me hear you. And say, brother, I love you, and, and you're, you're, you're messing up here. <laughs> this is going to destroy you. God doesn't want this for you. You need to come on back. You need to come on back. Make sure you have the right attitude. Again, make sure you have self-awareness. Make sure you understand before making a judgment or correcting others. So it's not to, you know, people either want to do one or extreme, either one extreme or the other. Either we're too aggressive with people or we just don't judge at all. We just take that up. Judge not, and I'm not, I'm not ever going to talk to anybody. <laughs> and meanwhile, they're straying, and there's nobody to come to their aid who loves them enough to come, go and talk to them. So let's try and reword this if we can. This isn't perfect, but only God is my final judge. It was right. You know, Paul even says that about himself. Says God is his judge, but not all human judgment is wrong judgment. Judgment is discernment. That's what it is. We make judgment calls every day. It's the way we judge. Are we in a place to even have discernment? Do we have discernment on the issue? Are we like Job's uh, friends who made an assumption, oh, it must be sin? Yeah, that's judgment. They were judging him. They didn't know the whole story. They didn't even attempt to know the whole story. Ah, well, he's sick. His family is taken away from him. It must be sin. It's using right judgment. And so if that's not right, then, then what do we do? How do we approach this? Man, I mean, that, this would make me afraid of ever judging anybody. No, we need to be listeners, like James says. <laughs> be quick to listen. Slow to speak, quick, quick to listen. Listen first in order to understand. 
Get good at being curious and asking questions before jumping to conclusions. Grow in your own self-awareness and therefore in your own humility. So there is a time to speak. And yes, even when you speak in love, sometimes people are going to be defensiveness. I've tried to, like, it's gentle as walking on eggshells with people and, and have had them get, you know, brother or sister get, get offended, you know. And then sometimes they come back and say, hey, I was being defensive. I was in my pride or whatnot, you know. But make sure you're in the right place. You can't, you're not responsible for their reaction, right? You're responsible for their reaction if you're a jerk, if you're not approaching them in love, right? But take care of yourself. Make sure you have the right attitude and you've got the log out of your own eye. Misquote number four. I need. Thank you for being on time the time. Two contestants, please. Tam. I forget your name. John, would you? Would, would, sorry, I, I called out the new guy. I apologize. I, I, mean, I, mean, I usually don't do that. I'm sorry, John. Forgive me, man. Okay. Thank you for being a good sport. You could have told me no. I feel bad. I, 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 don't, I usually don't do that. And I called out the new guy. All right. Do not answer until I say, is that really in the Bible? Ready? God helps those who help themselves. Is that really in the Bible? Well, I, I think John, John won and you broke the stapler. Yes. <laughs> You'll say, yeah, it's in the Bible. The answer is not exactly. <laughs> not, but he, he was half right. Let's, we'll give him a one-third on that. Um, there we go. There we go, John. What's that? Oh, it's half right. Yeah, he gets a half. He gets, he gets, he gets a half point. Hey. Canaan, what were our lovely contestants win today? A two-liter bottle of Dr. Thunder that belonged to Sean, but I just gave it away. <laughs> Not exactly. I remember, uh, I've told this story before. That's the bad thing. When, when you pastor church, when you're, when you're an evangelist, you can like sweep into churches you can t- preach the same sermon, tell the same stories, and nobody ever knows, and then you ride out of town. But when you pastor a church, you tell the same stories sometimes, and everybody's like, oh my goodness, I've heard this for the millionth time. But this reminds me when I was younger, standing on the corner uh, with my sign that says, Jesus loves you, just letting people know. And uh, there was at least two people that rolled down their window and told me to get a job. They were one of those, God helps those who help themselves. The problem with this idea is that you become your first source of help and strength, and God is secondary. You pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, and then God is there to assist um, if you need him or want him. All right, so what's the right passage? There's two of them that come to mind. One is Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Paul says, for it is by grace that you've been saved. By grace, the word means undeserved favor. It's by God's favor that you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift 
of God, not by works so that no one may boast. So you don't do anything to help yourself, and I do not believe that faith is a, is a work. You reach out and you receive what God has promised us through Christ, through faith. God wants us to come to him. In fact, he insists that we come to him because we cannot do it on our own. We're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. But, people, that doesn't take away our responsibility. And so we see in Galatians chapter 6, in verse 5, it says, for each will have to bear his own load. Then you go down to verse 7, Paul says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will also from the flesh reap corruption. Sorry, let me read that again. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, and the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So there's this law of reaping and sowing. There are consequences for our actions. So God doesn't take away our responsibility. If you want to see people, for instance, come to Jesus Christ, you got to share the gospel. If you don't share the gospel, people don't come to Christ, right? If you want a job, you got to get out there and look. You pray for God to provide, and he guides your steps, and he opens doors. But man, you got to get on monster.com or whatever they use these days and fill out that resume and, and send those job applications. You want a better marriage? You want a better parent relationship? You need to work on quality time. You need to do that. <laughs> you need to take that step. You want a better relationship with God? You got to seek Him. You want to stay out of trouble? Got to be wise. You got to stay out of slippery places or you're going to fall. And God's not going to be to blame. You're going to be to blame. So how do we how do we reword this one? I'd say God takes great joy, and these aren't catchphrases. My, my rewording of these don't sound as good as the originals, I realize that. But God takes great joy in helping those who help themselves. But God doesn't help those who choose to remain fools. I didn't say God doesn't help fools. God helps repentant fools. <laughs> God helps fools who say, oh, I'm, I'm a fool. I need you. I can't help myself. So God does help those who can't help themselves. So if this isn't right, what do we do? We need to take responsibility for our choices, for our own actions, but know that we can't save ourselves. And also know, like Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16, says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, un- unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Last misquote. Quote, misquote number five. Two last contestants. All right, Tim. Way to step up. Who else is going to step up? All righty. (laughs) 
All right, you guys ready? Remember, do not hit your buzzer. I bet both of these get, y'all both obey. Y'all, y'all look like good listeners. <laughs> Unlike most of the other contestants this far. <laughs> do not hit your buzzer, your stapler, until I say, is that really in the Bible? All right, here we go. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. Is that really in the Bible? All right. Yes, it is. Congratulations. You won a two-liter bottle of Diet Dr. Thunder. If Sean relinquishes. So, this is another one of those prosperity quotes um, about success, or it's, it's, it's used, it's intended a lot of times when people quote it, not every time, but sometimes when people quote it, they, they think of success and chasing dreams and, and uh, protection from all hardship. Let's see what it really says. Yes, it is in the Bible. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans, uh, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. But when we read it in context, when we back up to verse 6, it reads like this. For thus says the Lord to Israel, that's to the audience, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. See, they're in exile right now. God had warned them over the years, sent prophets to warn them. They wouldn't repent and turn to him, so he let Babylon come and take them captive, and now they're living in a foreign land, and their temple has been destroyed. Jerusalem has been destroyed. For when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. So you're going to live there for 70 years, and I will fulfill to you my promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See the difference there? Yeah, they're not, they're not living prosperous <laughs> lives right now. They're in a foreign land. He's saying you might as well set up shop there for a while and make it home for now, your temporary dwelling, because it's going to be 70 years. But I want you to know, just because you're being disciplined, I love you. And my plan isn't to harm you. That's not what all this is about. I don't hate you. I'm not uh, uh, against you. God says, but you're going to be here. It's like a parent says, uh, this hurts me more than it hurts you. <laughs> That's basically what God is, is saying to Israel. Or this is for your own good, you know. Well, you're not, I guess 21st century, I can't really make the whip in motion. But this is for your own, you're in the corner. This is for your own, this is for your own good. So let's reword this. As God's child, you can be confident that no matter your circumstances, God is for you and plans to give you a future and a hope. We have a great reward. Listen to this. We want to get put it in our context. They are waiting for that return to Jerusalem. We have a great reward awaiting for us in eternity. So if it's not right, so how should we apply this? What should we do? Know that God's purpose is always, always for your good. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, all things work together for the good. 
But also know that tribulation is a part of this world, and God even uses the trials of this life towards the ultimate good. Hebrews 10, 35, 36 says, Do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. What's your confidence? Your faith. Do not throw away your confidence in Christ, which has great reward. For you have, you have need of endurance. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. See, Israel needed, uh, they needed endurance. They needed discipline. James 1.12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised those who love him. Romans 8.18, for I consider, Paul says, listen to this. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, think about this in 21st century terms, I consider whatever suffering you know, we see in the world at this present time, he says it's not even worth comparing. And this is a man who wrote under Nero. And, and I think Luke last week just shared how ugly and sick and twisted and demented this emperor was. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see, God has a great plan for us, plans to prosper us, not to harm us. Paul says later in chapter 8 of Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? Listen to this. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up to death for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's God's plan for Israel. They would turn to him, and that's his plan for us, his children. So, we've all made mistakes. And we've all misspoken a time or two, maybe multiple times. I'm sure as you think through some of these, maybe you've quoted these in the wrong context. Man, I've said things from the pulpit that later I'm like, eh, really? <laughs> I said that? Sometimes it was a, a slip of the tongue. Other times I was young and ignorant. How to not misquote. How do we not misquote God's word? You've got to know it, right? Know, know your Bible. You've got to actually get in the word if you're not going to, to misquote it. If you want to know the will of God, you've got to renew your mind, Right? And there's different ways. He renews us through the Spirit. He renews us through life experiences. He renews us through others. He renews us through coming to church and hearing the Word, but He renews us through His written Word, the Bible. Know it. And this isn't, again, this is not about getting every fact in detail. I mean, so many Christians, I see frustrated Christians sometimes that, that, that think they've got to know every detail and understand it perfectly. And have right and wrong, and that's where we get into that right and wrong thinking, and we become argumentative, and, and we want to be right all the time. It's not about getting every fact and detail right. But you can know. Every single one of us can know God's plan and will for our lives through his word. That's clear. So read it. Read it. Read it. If you don't want to misquote God's word, if you don't want to use it out of context, read God's word. The second thing, always seek out the context. Always seek out the context. Uh, the funny thing is, is we, we don't we don't take like we don't take Harry Potter 
and isolate verses. You know, isolate sentences out of Harry Potter and then go around quoting them without, without a context. There's a greater story in the Bible. And I'm not saying there's, there's anything wrong with having a verse, but remember those verses always, always, always have context. And if you don't know the context of it, you, you probably shouldn't be saying it. Because I can go into Mark Twain and pull out a sentence or whatever and use it way out of context and make it mean something that it doesn't mean. Always know the context. What is the book about? That's a good habit. You know, we have Bibles. A lot of ours have introductions in them. If not, there's apps you can download. There's things online where you can, you can read about. You know, if you're, if you're reading through the book of Romans, like we're reading, we're reading um, some of us are doing this through the Bible thing, and there's little videos that tell us what the, the whole book is about. Know the context of what the book is or the letter is about. Know its historical context. It's important to know historical context. Uh, Context: the way this would have been applied in the in the BC, you know, in the in ancient uh, Israel or in the first century. What is said before and after your verse? Always back up a little bit, you know, and 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 read. Maybe back up to the beginning of the chapter or a few paragraphs before that, and read the read the context. What does it say before and after? That'll help you with the context. Only then, when we have context, can we cross that bridge into the twenty first century. Because a lot of verses, sometimes verses, don't mean the same thing that you think it means there when you apply it to our, our lives. You've got to know the context, and then you cross the bridge to today. And finally, resist the need to give an answer if you don't know. <laughs> it's okay just to, like, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're with a friend and they need comfort, be what Job's friends were the first seven days and just sit with them. You don't always have to have an answer. You don't always have to have an answer. Um, if, you're, if you're with you know, somebody that's, that's asking questions or that's questioning uh, the faith and you don't know the answer, by all means, please don't give an answer you don't know. That's the worst, I mean, that's the worst thing you can do is just like open your mouth and insert foot and say something that's wrong. But here's the thing. If you don't know, then go look. Look, ask. Uh, ask, a, ask a pastor, you know, go look, uh, uh, read the Bible, look for commentary or whatever. Ask, seek, look to know what that passage is, is, is about before you quote something. If you don't know what it's about, go look. Go find out what it means. So that's how we... Stay away from misquoting God's word. It's just basically getting in God's word and then making sure that we, we have context. If we're questioning, I don't know if that's in the Bible. Just go find out. Go find out if it's in the Bible and then find out what it means.